Hey everybody, good afternoon. We are back here on Restoring Balance, and uh, today we have the awesome privilege to uh, be talking to the main man of the hour, uh, Mr. Ryan Hetrick, the director of Restoring Balance and the uh, author behind the movement here that we are talking about, which is uh, autism recovery, you know, restoring the balance for our kids on the spectrum. Uh, today is March 3rd, 2019, and uh, good afternoon, Mr. Hetrick. Hey, how's it going? Things are great here on the East Coast as we deal with some snow. How are things out there on the West in California? Well, it's actually kind of wet and rainy still. We're having uh, more intense rainy season and cold than usual, but that's all right. We'll deal with it. Sounds like we are having winter across the whole uh, United <laughs> States, not just isolated areas this year. So we yes, are excited. Yes. yes, we are excited to have you on. And uh, first, I just want to ask you to uh, introduce yourself. Uh, most people already know me uh, as Mr. Harold. I am an ABA worker and uh, proud of you know helping these kids on the spectrum with ABA therapy and uh, conducting one-on-one, -on -one, you know sessions that really bring about changes in these kids. But you, Mr. Ryan, you've also had uh, a long history. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you um, and how you came into the field uh, and working with these kids in, on the autism spectrum? Yeah, um, I've been in this field for over a dozen years, and it was, you know, I started back working with kids in school actually uh, as young as the kindergarten level, and started out doing pretty strict ABA at the time. And I moved out to California, and they had an ABA program, but eventually they shifted into a four-time model. They still sort of focused with uh, ABA in terms of keeping data, but letting the child lead a little bit more, like four-time style, so fixing that. Um, and so I worked with a company there for five years and also ended up uh, back on the East Coast doing uh, brain injury work and uh, was a neurocognitive specialist for people that had, you know, acquired brain injury or from an accidental brain injury, um, something like that. So these people were very similar to autism because it was almost like an ABA approach, what they call it, cognitive behavioral therapy, but it still involved, you know, taking data and making goals and advancing on those. Um, and that was very different because a lot of those people were middle to older age, so it was like a whole different side of the spectrum that I got to work with. Uh, that company also worked with autism, so I still had a few clients on the autism spectrum as well. Um, and I teach now at a, at a school, basically, a vocational program, uh, you know, older adults on the spectrum, this sort of like college age. So I worked with, you know, a lot of different ages. And really, in the past five years, uh, I guess like seven now, I've been aware of this biomedical treatment, this whole other side of autism that 
was like a revelation to me. I, at the time, was actually kind of thinking, you know, maybe this field wasn't for me. I saw a lot of kids struggling to, to move forward, and I was considering to go back to school um, and just change, change my route. But this one little boy changed my whole perspective on autism by just his mother having him go through biomedical therapy. And, uh, you know, when, when Theodore kind of woke up and came out of his shell and started improving with all these other things other than what we were working on, that's what made me realize how deep that treatment was. And when she told me that it was just his diet and these supplements, you know, I was just racking my brain for how could this be this intense of a change. And so I started investigating this stuff and realized that there's there's so much of the medical piece for what these kids are going through um, that that's where this whole idea of the documentary came from. I realized there just wasn't enough information out there about it and people needed to see the before footage and the transformation and the doctors explaining, you know, why it happened. And so now I've been trying to include this piece with the behavioral um, because I'll also say that even though I had this revelation, um, another mom put it best to say that even if you could just wave a magic wand and these kids, you know, had all the medical challenges taken away and their gut was balanced and their vitamin and mineral deficiencies were gone and their toxicities were taken away, they would still have challenges with their peers because there's an arrested development. You know, it's like they they didn't get to develop at the same rate as everyone else, so there's still that catch up to do. And so I really still believe that behavioral intervention is important, but there's a proper time to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things I, I wanted to mention also is that I've I've personally known uh, Mr. Hedrick here and I actually just want to call you Ryan, if that's okay with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I uh, I've known Ryan for over a decade and some years, and it always struck me that you know we would end up working together at some point in the future, whether it was with some of the ideas that we had in college. Uh, where we were trying to come up with uh, some sort of, you know, additive to a cell phone or additive to some sort of need, you know, that the you know that people are looking to fix, and uh, and it led us to have a break in our relationship, and then now we've come back and we're both in the behavioral field. And uh, a quick background of where you know I already come from is you know I started out as a drug and alcohol counselor and I was just a simple assistant but I got to see kids that were already suffering from you know other deficiencies whether it was a dependency or drugs or alcohol or uh, having been uh, you know victims of abuse and uh, it's great that you know, we both know that behavioral intervention, whether it comes in 
ABA or behavioral intervention comes as a family trying to save their kid from drugs or behavioral intervention comes from uh, anything that could be hindering the growth of a child and development of a child. You know, people come together. And I think that we need to remember that we need to also come together on this movement. And I'm happy to be a part of it with you, Ryan. So I just wanted to express that as we uh, as we continue here. Yeah, I appreciate that so much, and and I I love being part of this. And I think you said an important thing is everybody needs to come together. And I think there's sort of an initial rift with the behavioral community thinks that anybody in the biomedical side of it doesn't want them or doesn't think that they're important and that they're you know are not part of the puzzle. So. Um, I guess from, from two behaviorists, I think you feel this way too, that we know that that's important of both sides working together, you know, for the benefit of the child, because it's not just one or the other. I mean, they need all the resources they can get. They need all the help they can get. Absolutely. Yes. The resources are so, are so key. You know, ABA therapy being the leader in, you know, the best way to really assist these children and then I believe that biomedical intervention is, is, is right behind it, if not right next to it, because uh, people need to understand that what, what we put in our bodies as humans, what we decide to consume, really uh, plays a role in all disease, in all uh, development, and we must remember that uh, our and we'll get into this, but, you know, our, our inner lining in the gut and our bacteria and all that stuff needs to happily coincide with our blood-brain barriers and be, be one. We need to be one organism inside and not be disrupted by a lot of the things that I think, you know, we're going to be talking about here in the future as, you know, we talk about, you know, it could be... Yeah, I mean, we could... We can... Yeah, we can even get into that a little bit, I think, right now in terms of timing. So we'll talk about the timing, and then we'll talk about, like, the blood-brain barrier. Um, you know, I think that the kids need to be stabilized first. Another mother, uh, Dr. Melinda Sharma, uh, she's also mentioned this analogy where, like, if a stroke victim you know, has a stroke, they obviously need medical attention right away. And it's like them trying to start speech therapy in the ambulance on the way to the hospital instead of waiting until they're stabilized. And so when we're talking about the blood-brain barrier and the gut, those things are important because they help, you know, how we're focused on our cognition. Um, how pleasant we can be. And I think people have a hard time understanding that what we eat controls the blood-brain barrier, but in terms of the kids being present, they have all this other interference and inflammation in their brain, then they can't focus on the behavioral techniques, you know, that are being presented to them. And that's when, when I saw with Theodore, the kid, when we first started out, you know, he was making leaps and bounds, and it was easier for me to administer ABA for a time to him and him to benefit from it because he was more present and he was more focused. Right, so right. So everything was easier. And just to review, Theodore, uh, he was on 
featured on Restoring Balance uh, Autism Recovery, right? Correct. What a wonderful story that was. I, 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 I can't imagine how the family just must have been so thrilled to see how Theodore was restored through diet and biomedical intervention. Yeah, you know, we worked behaviorally with sentences that were only two to four words long at first. He had a lot of echolalia. It was really hard to get him to focus because he was running all over the place, sort of had some other comorbid things, you know, like ADHD, uh, just hyperactivity in general, and some sensory issues, uh, you know, noise and such. And through this short amount of time that biomedical came in, you know, his sentences went from like five to ten words, from the you know two to four words, and so this wasn't necessarily something that we were working on. But for it seems on the medical piece cleared up for him enough that you know he was able to make more meaningful speech and longer, more complex sentences. And so I, I saw it in like real time happen in front of me, and it was just so shocking. Right. Yeah, you essentially saw a positive side effect of this biomedical intervention. Yeah, and um, I tied a little bit to the blood-brain barrier, like you were also mentioning before, is that, you know, when they eat these inflammatory or allergic foods, that starts inflammation in the gut, but it's connected through the vagus nerve up to the brain, and um, it can cause this blood-brain barrier inflammation and more toxins, bacteria, viruses, things that we don't want in the brain, you know, get in there. And so if you stop that inflammatory response, it kind of can seal back up the blood-brain barrier. And but one of the craziest things in the movie that the doctors sort of enlightened me with was that it's like a bi-directional street. And so, you know, usually the doctor talks about we get anxious in our gut and we feel it in our brain, but um, they've actually taken rats. And unfortunately, you know, there's still these uh, studies they do where they injure animals on purpose. But they gave these rats concussions but they realized that giving the rats a concussion and having a leaky blood-brain barrier from the brain injury also translated to a more permeable colon and permeable gut. So it was like, again, that signal was bidirectional. Injury happened in the brain, and it showed up in the gut. And so the injury can happen in the gut, and it can also affect the brain. Right, right. And that just shows how fragile, you know this blood-brain barrier is and how much it needs to be taken into account, you know, whether it is an injury or whether it's autism or whether it's dependence on drug and alcohol, that blood barrier, that barrier is going to suffer and it's not going to be the stronghold that it should be keeping toxins out and the good things in. Well, one of the things that... uh, Absolutely. One of the things that I wanted to touch base on with you, Ryan, was, you know, we both already kind of reviewed our backgrounds, and I think that it's it's good timing that we kind of chat about 
you know, some of the issues present nowadays, you know, that, you know, we can encounter before, you know, people are willing to take on these these changes that can be really effective in in our kids that are on the spectrum. What kind of challenges have you encountered, uh, especially, of course, as we uh, worked on the documentary and you filmed? What can you talk about well, in those challenges? I guess the biggest challenge that even I had to get over was how much food matters. Um, I didn't see it as that big of a deal at first. So I think when you tell anybody uh, that the food is that big of a deal, they have a tough time believing you. And right. since food is connected to our family, our traditions, our sense of who we are, our identity, I think people also have a hard time changing it. You know, if their favorite dish is chicken alfredo or they love lasagna, you know, there's a lot of wheat and dairy products in there, then you tell them that has to come out of their life. Um, you know, if all the kids is eating is pizza and you're like, oh, yeah, you got to go on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet, it's like, that's all they eat. And they just, you know, automatically they're like, that would be a nightmare. And we can't do that right now. And it's because, you know, a lot of these families and mothers are basically living, they, they did a study on this, the same stress level as a soldier with PTSD. Because, you know, some of these kids are obviously a challenge to, to deal with. And we'll talk about the story that you had uh, previously on the podcast in a little bit. But, right. you know, you know, I think that um, overall it's that convincing people that food matters so much. And not until recently did studies really even prove that because you also need a long enough of a runway for it to land and for it to work because a lot of people think, oh, okay, I'll take gluten and dairy out for two weeks and we'll see if it does anything. Oh, it didn't do anything. Oh, you know, we tried that diet and then they gave, give up on it. But or, or they'll do it for two months. Or in even two months. You're right, it's still too short. Um, it sounds like it, it's not because it takes more like eight months for the body to really get all the antibodies out um, because the one doctor mentioned in the movie, Dr. Clark, says that it's not even necessarily the actual gluten. It's these antibodies to the gluten. It's your immune system's response to it, and sometimes other things can streak it out, and so it has to stay calm for a while before you see it, and not till recently did they actually do like a longitudinal study, like a, you know, a long-term study over a whole year measuring if a gluten-free, dairy-free diet helped these kids because other shorter studies of only a few, like eight weeks, you know, showed that there wasn't that much benefit. But the studies that are all longer do show dramatic benefit, you know, from removing those items. So it's a complex equation of getting them to believe and then they have to believe long enough and, and try it, you know, long enough. I absolutely agree. And you mentioned about some of the families I work with, especially the, uh, uh, we'll refer to him as EZ. He was a, uh, a client I had a few years ago and he was displaying the I, I, I actually want to call them typical, you know, autism behaviors, despite him being high functioning, 
we saw him being disruptive, disrespectful, not being able to follow simple one-step directions, uh, having issues with morning, evening routines, bedtime routines, having issues learning, staying focused, having GI intestinal tract issues, having sleep issues. I mean, so many of what our kiddos are facing and, you know, I just happened to mention to this this mom that I worked with, I said, you know, maybe you should check out this documentary, What the Health. It's on Netflix. You know, I watched it and it did something in me. It churned up a change in me that has led me to be healthier. And so I thought, you know, what if? And working with you on the documentary, Restoring Balance, Autism Recovery, and seeing the changes that you captured on film, it's extraordinary. And so the link is, I think, indisputable. And we must get the word out. And this family, as I was mentioning, this client, they started these you know, it wasn't a gradual reduction in their case. Mom decided to just cut it all out and and make the change and start, you know, f- providing whole foods instead of processed foods. Start providing, you know, instead of dairy products, you provide non-dairy products. Instead of meat products, you provide vegan products. Instead of high cholesterol products, you provide whole grain products, and the changes that this child was able to acquire in a very short amount of time, we're speaking from end of the school year, April, May, to the end of the extended school year, which runs to the end of June, he was already showing not only improvement in cognitive efficiency, however, he he was also more himself he was able to you know say what he wanted and deny you know something or not say if he was interested and just being able to communicate better as well as hopping up two grades uh, from having a deficiency in his academics so you know I think that that story speaks for itself and that once you decide to take the intervention the intervention on and you decide to say no to these daily products that are shoved down our throats as food and you say yes to the whole food products that are available on the shelves and i think that the difference is really in in what we put in our bodies Oh, Ryan, we are so happy today here at our second podcast. And as we move forward, uh, we just want to make sure that we cover one more topic as we close out. So, Ryan, you uh, you worked plenty, especially filming Restoring Balance Autism Recovery. Uh, let's just chat about 
how expensive it can be for behavioral therapy versus medical interventions as we look to you know increase the effectiveness of it and also uh, chat about you know how you think this can be something that families your your typical family can overcome if they decide to take the step forward yeah I think that with with even you were mentioning, you know, with the willingness to change, I think it's about those mothers who make the decision to do it despite knowing it's going to be hard. I think that's what makes people give up in the beginning is kind of having to fight their kid over what they're eating and they need enough to get these out that and expect that it is going to be a challenge. So an expense is not just money, but also your time and your willpower. You know, it's the same kind of willpower when if we have pets, they might be begging for an extra treat or something that, you know, they know either they've had too much to eat or they shouldn't have that kind of food, you know, but we have to withhold that from them because we know better. And it's hard to withhold some of those things from your kids, but it's ubiquitous in society to have all these foods, they with pesticides and just processed dyes, et cetera, et cetera, all over the place. So that extent that you have to invest in is, you know, teaching your child by modeling how to really consume food. And you have to start early because I've witnessed that the kids that start later, it can be harder with peer pressure and other social pressures with them already learning junk food and such to consume. So it feels like a big expense with time. Um, in terms of money, you know, some states provide coverage for behavioral therapy. Other states don't. Uh, in Texas, Gideon's family was not offered behavioral therapy services. Basically, it was all going to come out of pocket. So they had to make the decision, either this or either that. And they thought, well... With biomedical, if we can get him more cognitively online, then maybe we can teach him what he needs to to catch up. They were concerned that if they didn't fix the medical piece first, that the behavioral stuff would be hard to come anyway. Um, and I would say, though, that you have to think about this as an investment over time. It might seem pricey up front where you have to invest like 110% at the initial couple years but after it's more of an autopilot and you won't have to invest as much time or money so even if these kids are on 15 or 20 supplements for the first few months you know it is not going to be that way forever it doesn't mean that they're going to live with 30 supplements like that forever a lot of the kids also can usually add back in some of the foods that might have offended them. Uh, you know, dairy and gluten may need to stay out forever. Some of the ones that bothered them the most may need to stay out forever. But some of them can reintroduce foods that they were sensitive to, and it's okay. So I think that's the other reason that people don't stick with it is that 110% effort in the beginning seems like a lot to deal with, and it seems like a lot of financial investment, uprooting your life for time, you know, in the kitchen, and because it's an investment in your time, too, but I try to always tell parents that 
these kids are here to show us how to help ourselves. And they've already shown that some of the same issues these children have, the, you know, we talked about the brain and gut inflammation, but mitochondrial issues and autoimmune conditions, they're finding that other conditions like Alzheimer's, MS, et cetera, can benefit from the same treatments that some of these kids are going through. So what we're teaching our family might seem like an expense in terms of time and money, but it's an investment in your own health so that you can be around longer for your kids, functioning better for your kids. Uh, so you have to see it as like a whole family healing. It, it's The families that I've seen to be not successful are the ones that just try to put the kid on the diet, and they don't do any of it themselves. Now, I grant, I, I know that for some families, it might be kind of expensive to put all of the family on the diet at first. So sometimes they just do try to put the one child on. But it's really difficult to have the other kids eating regular pizza or regular pasta or regular food around the house and not have that kid grab some on accident or just get a one piece or, you know, and then have to smell it too. So we talked about investment. It's like it, it goes more than money, but I think that there's a big payoff. The big payoff is like maybe that driver's license, maybe that job, you know, maybe that boyfriend or girlfriend or those friends. Like those are priceless things in people's lives. And so that, those are the goals, you know, of this investment. Absolutely. And I think you said it right, Ryan. The investment takes time. It takes effort. It takes a whole family. Uh, you know, you can't have one member of the family essentially, you know, eating something different and then another three, four members of the family eating something else. That doesn't show the support. That doesn't show the dedication to the child. Therefore, the child may show even more behaviors because they may think, my family's not doing this. Why do I have to try? And so exactly. I think we have to also keep that in mind. And one thing you also mentioned, I think that is important to note is the expense really that I noticed with the families that I was able to see firsthand make a change is really there was no change in the expense of groceries there was a change in however the amount of time one would take to read what is in the ingredients of the foods that they're deciding to put into their children's bodies and i think that that's one of the things that people have a hard time with is that they go for their favorite foods and snacks they don't take the time to really read the ingredients that can really be toxic, especially to the kids on the autism spectrum, because we don't think about it. We're not sensitive to those items and those foods. However, these kids, of course, they're going to show sensitivities to red dye 40 and blue number 51 and yellow 1 and yellow number 4 and your starches and your glutens and your dairies and your... So we have to make sure that we protect our kids in a way by taking the time to read these labels and make sure that we are choosing more 
whole food products, healthier items off these shelves because, you know, a study was done not long ago on, and actually I saw it on CNN, I don't want to quote anything, but it mentioned that the healthier foods are on the outside aisles when you go to your local market or food store. And I'll repeat that. Your best foods, your more healthier foods, are on the outside aisles of any yeah. food and grocery market. And isn't that something? Isn't that a shame that you walk in and you walk into a smorgasbord of what you think is food and really what's lined up on these counters and shelves is just you know stuff that doesn't age stuff that doesn't go bad stuff that's been processed stuff that's been refined and the only time that you have a chance to actually reach out to healthy foods is if you walk around the aisles of any grocery or food market where you will see the fruits the vegetables where you'll see the kombuchas where you'll see the vegan products where you'll see the lentils where you'll see the salads where you'll see even you know there's nothing wrong with bread i don't have anything with bread and i don't think that bread is anything to be a huge concern but make sure that you're getting some gluten-free bread you know that it's made with some gluten-free flour and and just that simple step can really make a difference in what you're putting into your kids' bodies. Yeah, I think you made an important point, too, that it doesn't have to be as expensive. I've definitely also seen families where it's not that much of an expense. You know, if you're buying prepackaged gluten-free stuff that's, like, ready-made, that's where you're going to pay the extra expense. And as you also mentioned, uh, even if it's gluten-free and it's packaged, yes, it's better. But that other investment that I've seen some families make, they save the money. They have to invest a little bit of time. But they make more of the food from scratch, and then so the foods are healthier, you know, like you said, they're buying it from the outside of the grocery store, and they make it themselves. And then it, it doesn't have to be as much of an expense um, if you plan it strategically, you know. Absolutely, and I think it's strategic planning is necessary in all of this, especially with our movement with restoring balance, autism recovery. We know, Ryan, and I know that we can say that with certainty, that we have helped numerous kids on the autism spectrum become restored, become the kids that they were meant to be. We, we develop the plans that are necessary for the kids biomedically. We help them find the resources that they need and we make sure that the process is done in the appropriate amount of time, not just two weeks, two months, but we're talking up to up, up, up upwards of a year or even more as we had uh, uh, the last case featured on Restoring Balance, as you'll remember, Ryan, uh, where that young lady, if you can recall her name for me, uh, got her license and uh, at the age of... Oh, yeah, that's Robin. Robin, that's right. And how she was able to start biomedical interventions at the age of, I believe it was 24, and then, you know... 28, yeah, she was 28. Oh, she was really old. Right. Like, you know, old in terms of what people think is a stopping point for biomedical or that, you know, it's been too far... 
uh, in terms of the aging process. But that we saw was not true at all. It was not true at all. We 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 saw the intervention take place later in her twenties, and we now can say joyfully that Robin is enjoying a independent life with an apartment, with uh, an independent job, with independent income, and even an independent relationship with a significant other. And we're so happy that at Restoring Balance Autism Recovery, we can share these stories. Uh, Ryan, we're so happy to have you on today. It's been an excellent chat with you today on our second podcast uh, today. And we are so excited to make sure that we continue this diligent work, this uh, journey that we must par- partake in as a whole to help the kids that are suffering on the autism spectrum. They're not, they're not impaired, folks. They're simply, they're just simply sick, and and we can do something about that. Thank you yeah, so much. The, the- the quote that I would like to leave you with is uh, think of autism as a medical condition or medical conditions with behavioral symptoms. And like you said, these kids are sick. They're not disabled. Correct. Correct. Thank you so much, Ryan. Uh, we had a great time with you. Stay online as we uh, look forward to our next podcast. Thank you, everybody.